Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 144. I don't know what's wrong with my voice today. Please bear with me. As Catholic warriors, and you six-pack warriors are the elite combatants in this war against hell and to save the church, we're patriots in our loyalty to the church and to our nation. So from now on, all of the episodes of the Cantankerous Catholic will begin with Sing of Mary and the National Anthem. Michael Boris here, founder and CEO of Church Militant. Come on over to our website, churchmilitant.com, and get an honest view on all things inside and outside the church. We are the fastest growing Catholic media apostolate in the world, and we have one mission, and that is serving Catholics like you. We have daily discussion, commentary, and news to keep you informed. So what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com today. In case it hasn't become apparent to you by now, Michael Voris and I are reading from the same page at this particular moment in church history. There's no doubt in my mind that you and I have a moral obligation to save the church, a moral obligation that will quite literally depend on where each of us spend eternity. Let me be clear, I have no fear of death whatsoever. When you've had to face death as many times as I have, you become immune to a fear of it. However, the one thing I do fear is what happens immediately after death. Am I in a state of grace? I hope so. Fact is, none of us know the answer to that question with a moral certitude. But I've spent my Catholic lifetime sort of hedging all bets on this by doing two things asking from the time I was a neophyte for a martyr's death and evangelizing. If you die as a martyr, that's an automatic straight shot to heaven. Facing a martyr's death in this country, though, is pretty rare, at least for the moment. Regarding chasing after souls and leading them into the church or back into it, St. James says, quote, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. End quote. I certainly don't want to be guilty of the mortal sin of presumption, but what James says makes me a bit more comfortable about my eternal destiny. After all, I've made hundreds of converts and reverts over the last 30-plus years. And that leads me to Michael Voris and you. On September 24th through the 26th, 
Four speakers led by Michael Voris addressed a resistance group in Orange, California. It was promoted as the very first church militant resistance boot camp. At this boot camp, one of the most important parts, in my opinion, was a question and answer session between the attendees and Michael. In this session, Michael brought some very, very important messages for you. I'm going to play the session for you, then I'm going to make commentary on the things that were said, just in case you let your mind slip by them. Let's listen. It's not just the bishops that are involved. Everybody needs to know that it's all of their staff for the most part. So know who you're dealing with in that department, too. Can you Absolutely. speak to no, that for a minute? No, no corrupt, horrible man keeps good people around him for long. He may have, somebody may have slipped through the cracks or somebody may just may not have realized something or maybe he's got a soft spot for this person or that person. But when the push comes to the shove, the good person has to get out. There are way too many battles of conscience inside chancery offices and everything else where eventually a good person will either leave or get kicked out or fold. There's too much corruption. You cannot be, it's just like being, in a, a, being a, a staffer on Capitol Hill. You're either going to get promoted because you gave in, or you're going to be able to float along for a little bit and you're going to leave, or they're going to catch on to you and fire you. Michael, it seems like the, you know, the culture or the Catholic culture has swallowed all this obedience, love, nice, good, and we have all the wrong definitions. So there's good people that it's very hard to convince that we have to go against it. And so I don't, you know, like I agree with you. In fact, I like to use the word we have an obligation to you do. St- because I'm a Catholic. I have an obligation. It's not just my right, but, uh, but I'm my soul is at peril if I don't do something. That's correct. But what do we do about so it's hard, so hard to convince our friends that are going to daily mass and stuff. They think they have to be obedient. The priests think they have to be obedient. We're, we're coming against this crazy insanity of being obedient to evil. That's why I said at the very beginning here, you have to have, you have to get over and help then help others get over the psychological hurdle. Now, how do you, you know, what, what convinces people is knowledge. It's knowledge. Now, you, you, you find something, you tell me, I say, well, could you imagine, for example, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many examples of things you can use to inform people, to educate them, to have their minds start working. I mean, just look at the example I just used of McCarrick. Here's a man who pled no, he pled, he, well, the judge had to enter a no, uh, no guilty plea for him because he wouldn't answer. So just imagine he wouldn't even answer. So the judge in, in Massachusetts, anyway, if you don't answer, they say, oh, okay, well, the court will enter a plea of no guilt, not guilty for you. And then set the date, I think is next month to the 10th or something to come back and that's it. Uh, so, so can you imagine? And you will find oftentimes that people don't understand that this needs to be their life. You know, you need to understand, you know, there's so much, so much that needs to be explained to people. You need to under, you know, that it, it's not just, hey, these guys are horrible and somehow you've scored a touchdown. If you're able to explain to them the horror of the nightmare of everything going on in the church, all you've done is just move the ball five yards. That's all you've done. There's all sorts of information. People have to begin to understand, you know, when I was a young kid, our, uh, the, the priest in charge of our parish said, the church is the most important thing in your life. He said very quietly, and then he said it again. The church is the most important thing in your life. And he said it a third time. The church is the most important thing in your life. I never forgot that. I didn't always live it, but I, know, I remembered the intellectual, intellectually, I recall the moment, even standing here. And he's right. And you have to be able to do sort of speak with friends or family or whoever's in your individual orbit that you think you can have the most impact on who will be the most willing to listen to something even if they're not just start well i mean yeah sure i mean our lord said you know a prophet isn't welcome in his own in his own land but get to somebody get to somebody and start telling them the fullness of the truth theologically as well as uh you know sort of historically circumstantially that we're in now yes michael so back to your comment about um 
going up to the priest and saying, why aren't you preaching about uh, contraception? Why aren't you coming after people not showing up to church on, you know, only coming on Easter and trying to receive the, the host on Easter when they, you know, haven't come for the whole entire year. So um, I've heard on podcasts and some people that have actually been on your mic'd up show uh, on their podcast, they'll say, well, there's people out there that are saying, oh, well, we, we need the, the, the priest to, to teach about brimstone and fire and be, you know, and, and, and come out about these things that, that are wrong. But really what we want, what we shouldn't be always focused on that. We need to be focused on the, the charitable part of the church and how, you know, Jesus forgives sins and things like that. And so I'm curious, what's your response to that? Cause it seems like it's almost like they go against what, what you're saying. So I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, I suppose, I'd say, well, I, I, I can't really imagine a, a, a time in the church where we have spoken uh, more about God is love and sweet and tambourines and lilies growing in the field and all of this than we have now. And where are the reason we're having to say, hey, you need to talk about hell, which, by the way, is the thing our Lord spoke about more than anything else beyond his own divinity, Father Martin. Um, there is, uh, you know, we haven't spoken about it. We haven't spoken about it. And, you know, one of the challenges of all of this, and it's certainly a challenge that we have kind of like in a mass audience is we don't get to talk to people through a TV lens, camera lens. We don't get to talk to people one-on-one, but we do get to talk about sort of very general things. Sometimes it registers with some people, other times it doesn't. But, you know, we've done thousands of Vortex episodes and then other shows and everything else. So eventually, you know, something gets through. But the reverse of that is when you're in a individual situation with somebody, whoever it is, you have to determine as best you can, am I speaking with somebody of goodwill? If you're not speaking with somebody of goodwill, you're completely wasting your time. So drop it and move on to somebody who will, uh, who will listen to it. So, um and, you know, does that hurt if it's somebody you love or care about or is a close friend or whatever? Well, of course it does. Well, at that point, all you can do is pray for them. You're not going to be intellectually able to convince them of something because they don't approach it with goodwill. They're either blocked by sin that won't let them see it clearly or they generally that's it. Maybe they don't like you because you, I don't know, you're a big brother and you beat them up, you know, the whole time when they're a little brother and they've always secretly hated you for that or whatever. Move on. You have to say, like the angels said, peace on earth to men of good will. Peace on earth is Christ's peace. Christ's peace cannot penetrate to somebody who is not of good will. But good will is just the soil that the word has to be given to. So at that point, now what are you going to do? You need to explain. All of this, we are talking about a small remnant, and it is a small remnant. We're talking about a small remnant of faithful Catholics who first have to understand the faith, understand the faith, reading, you know, spiritual reading, uh, you know, prayer life, uh, you know, listening to Bishop Sheen, whoever, whatever it is, just drowning in this so that you can then impart it to others and be able to speak. Maybe you can speak in a microphone in front of a crowd of people. Maybe it's just sitting in your backyard at a barbecue. It doesn't matter. You need to be able to sit down and impart the faith to people. And you, you need a theological acumen. And I don't mean you need some big degree. You need to understand not just what the church teaches, but why it teaches. You have to breathe out of a Catholic sense of everything about you has to exude the faith. Everything. You have to have a, what, you know, these call a Catholic sense. My grandfather, God rest his soul, never studied. I, he couldn't even write when he moved over to England from Ireland with his family and his mom, his wife was pregnant with my mother. He had to X his name. He was a coal miner. He was a farmer. He became a coal miner. He had to X his name. But boy, did that man know his Catholic faith. He knew it frontwards, backwards, upside down, everything. He died in the chair with his rosary. My mom was late coming down from mass as a girl. So you have to know the faith and you have to really make sure that what you're studying about the faith is what the church teaches. It has to be, it has to become the love of your life. The church is the most important thing in your life. It has to be that. 
And you just develop the sense of something's wrong there with what Father Martin's saying. What that bishop is insinuating isn't right. They shouldn't be teaching that in school. They should be saying this. You have to become a model of the faith for everybody. And that means in these times, what your hobbies are, they got to go. There's nothing wrong with them. If you like stamp collecting, I know your stamp collection ain't going to really impress Jesus when you get to the gates, but, um, you know, you, you, all of the stuff has got to go. You've got to become 100% committed to the faith, to the defense and the propagation of the faith. It has to become our lives. It has to be. When, uh, you know, the time I spent in news, um, uh, in secular news as a TV reporter and all that. I think you probably, most of you know, I was, that's what I did for roughly 20 years. Um, I'll tell you, you would never find maybe first responders and emergency room doctors. That'd probably be it. You would be hard pressed to find another group of people more committed to their cause. I mean, we routinely spent hours, hours of unpaid time covering stories, digging through things, trying to get to the truth. Most of them, as Father John Harden said, were dedicated to the Luciferian media. They'd want to promote birth control, and so they'd come up with some story about, you know, they go do some story to, you know, whatever. Absolutely 100% committed to the cause. As Bishop Sheen said of the communists, you know, they have no truth and all zeal. And Catholics have all truth and no zeal. It's true. That's what he said. And it's, you, you need, we need this. It needs to be, when you walk out of here this weekend, it needs to be, how am I going to make the church the most important thing in my life? St. James's last two lines in his epistle are, uh, no brothers that whoever brings another brother back from the error of his ways not only saves his own soul from death, but will cover a multitude of sins. Translation, convert people to the one true faith. Bishop Sheen, 2,000 years later, the surest way to get to heaven is to take someone's hand and lead them there. This is the work of what it is to be Catholic, and somehow along the way, through all of the corruption and the filth and the, and the horrible teaching and the rotten catechesis that looking around the room here, most of us probably had, you know, for most of our childhoods and uh, you know, certainly a large part of our adult lives, we have to stare that in the face and say we were lied to, we were deprived, and we are going to literally by God, by the grace of God, we are going to reclaim what belongs to us and we're going to do with it then what we are given it for, which is to go out and save souls. That's it. And if you don't walk out of here with that kind of zeal, well, then this has been a wasted weekend. Hi, Michael. Um, you had mentioned that we don't have any good bishops in the U.S. Um, what do you think about Colonel Burke? Well, he's not a sitting ordinary in, in the church. But, I mean, frankly, look, I'll say, Cardinal Burke needs to do more. He needs to do more. He needs to do more. There is a cover-up child molester, cover-up, not that he did the molesting, but there is a, a, a bishop who is sitting in his seat from St. Louis who covered up child molesting when he was back in Massachusetts, Bishop Rosansky. Archbishop Rosansky, who's now the Archbishop of St. Louis, where Cardinal Burke was when he was Archbishop. You, you don't get to not say anything about that. What, why, aren't you, why, why aren't any of these bishops calling out their brother bishops? You did this, Bob. Where are all the bishops saying, Baron, he's in your territory. You don't get to defy the Queen of Heaven and say most people go to heaven. You don't get to defy Holy Scripture and say that we have a reasonable hope that what Jesus said isn't true. That's what he says. That's what Barron says. He doesn't get to sit on a show with Ben Shapiro, who asks him point blank, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I follow the commandments. I do all the laws, all 672. I wash my hands. I blah, blah, blah. That scene happened 2,000 years ago in the, in the scriptures. 
And Jesus didn't say, okay, cool, man. You checked all the boxes. You're good. He said, go sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy went away very sad. Bishop's Baron says to the, says to Ben Shapiro, he goes, and I watched the show. And he sits there and he's like, oh, so I've done all this stuff. So he goes, so am I screwed? That was his question to Baron. So am I screwed? Because I reject that Christ stuff of you. And Baron's answer, well, Jesus is the privileged way. He's not the privileged way. He's the only way. And yeah, you are. If what you just said you know everything about, if you know that and you've rejected it, you're damned. Not because I say it, but because the man you're talking about said it. Many people don't know that the very next week, Baron or Shapiro had a Protestant guy on, Protestant preacher, and that Protestant preacher was asked almost word for word the exact same question by Shapiro. And the Protestant preacher said, yeah, you're damned. (laughs) Got to say what you got to say. People deserve the truth. See, that's the point. A human being made in the image and likeness of God with the blueprint, so to speak, being the God-man, Jesus Christ. Adam was fashioned after Jesus, not the other way around. In time, it happened that way. But Jesus, in the infinite mind of God, the everlasting mind of God, is the template of man. So Adam and all of his descendants are geared for the truth because Christ is the truth. So you don't get to deprive somebody of the truth, whether they like the answer or not. And whatever happens to you when you say it, which is generally not a good thing, oh, well, that's what happens. Every single living being on earth deserves the truth. They're geared for the truth. No one ever walks up to me and says, hey, lie to me. They ask questions from the time they're this big. Why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? Why does the cat meow? Why does the dog poop on the couch? Why are we doing this? Why, 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 why? Who, what, why, where, when? The whole industry we work in, news, is all about the truth. Unless you work for CNN. Um, and all the rest of them. Uh, so to not give someone the truth when that person has a right to the truth because they're made in the image and likeness of God, and particularly if it has to do with their eternal life, that is a grievous sin to withhold the truth from them. You know that person might not go out and get hit by a bus in two minutes and die, and maybe something you would have said to them before that bus hit them would have played around in them sufficiently to be able to have them somehow be saved in the mystery of God. But to deny someone the truth is to deny a starving man food. Don't get to do it. Don't get to do it and go to heaven. One more question. So basically what we're saying is that we are walking into martyrdom. We're walking and fighting for everything there is. The church giving our lives, our souls, all we can to fight for everyone around us, the people we love. And for the faith. Absolutely. I mean, this is what it is to be a disciple of Christ. It just takes us, particularly in this time frame, it just takes us, we have, there's a lot of stuff we all have to shake off to realize, oh my gosh, at the core of the faith, this is what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be somebody, as Bishop Sheen said, I'm a candle, you light it, and it burns down until there's nothing left that it gave itself to light up the world. That's it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We've just been so immersed in this, oh, be nice and please stand for our opening hymn, One Tin Soldier, and, you know, sons of God, here is holy word, and all this crazy crap. We've all grown up with that. You all know what we're talking about. It's all stupid garbage. But we've come to this point now to realize, wow, look at everything falling down around us. That's, that's a fake, that's a fake religion. It's the church of nice. It has nothing to do with salvation. 
It's creed as I believe in never offending. I believe in endless dialogue. I believe in dialogue that goes nowhere. I believe in just being liked. That's all it is. And you're all sitting here today because you know on some level, probably a large level, that your Catholicism has been stolen from you. And you're trying to reclaim it. Well, amen. And blessed be God for that. There are a few things Michael and the attendees said that I want to talk about, and you better listen to me and take these things to heart, or the only thing you can look forward to is an eternity in hell. I'm not fooling around here. Your soul is the whole reason I do this show. You may not like some of what I say, and you may even be offended, but at the end of the day, I refuse to send myself to hell for failing to speak truth to you. The first thing pointed out by a lady questioner and affirmed by Michael was that every one of us has an obligation to fight for Christ and his church and to defend them. No exceptions. You will be damned if you fail to do so. That's just a fact. That's not a nice thing to say, but it's true. Truth is seldom nice. Michael mentioned that his childhood parish priest in a homily one day said three times in succession, the church is the most important thing in your life. That's the truth, and you either reject this truth or treat it with lukewarmness at your own peril. From there, there were several very important things that came in rapid succession. The first is that you have to understand the faith. You can't do the work that we all have to do if you don't know and understand the faith. And if you're too lazy to learn the faith, or if you find it boring and don't want to be bored, please be honest enough with God right now to go ahead and leave the Catholic Church. But Joe, I already know the faith. Really? Well, if you think you do, just email me and I'll send you a quiz. If you get at least 70% correct, a C, then I'll agree that you know the faith. If you get less than that, you better get with the program while you still can. For those of you who have the courage to admit that you're ignorant of Catholic teaching because you've been cheated out of it, had it stolen from you, by these awful bishops and their minion priests, in my show notes is a link for you to begin learning the faith in my weekly webinars. I make them free because your soul has no price tag, unless, of course, you sell it cheaply by not doing as you ought. The second thing pointed out was that we have to talk to people and share the faith. We not only have to talk to people and explain what we're to believe, but why we believe it. And you can't do that if you don't know and understand the faith. The next thing was that the church must be the love of your life. Not even your spouse or your children can come before the church. Certainly they're part of the domestic church, but they can't come before the church because the church is literally Jesus Christ present here in time and space. If you love anything or anyone more than Jesus, you have absolutely no chance of eternal life, only eternal death. That's not me saying that. Jesus told us that repeatedly in the four Gospels. The fourth thing talked about was commitment. You have to become 100% committed to the church in this cause. The times are gone when we could mix other parts of life into our commitment to the church. Things are too bad in the world and in the church now, and it's because we were all too lukewarm earlier. We can't be lukewarm anymore. The Pope is a radical and at least a socialist, which is a heresy that's always been condemned by the church, and our bishops are sending souls to hell because they're either Marxist, gay or supporters of LGBT, or they're cowards. Michael said we need to give up our hobbies. What he was really saying is that to become 100% committed, you're going to have to give up everything that has nothing to do with the church. No more kids' soccer practice, 
No more Saturday college ball or Sunday night ball. No more parties or hanging out with your friends. Nothing but 100% commitment to the church. Just as the left is committed to evil, you must be committed to Jesus Christ and his church. Repeating what Bishop Sheen said of the communists, they have all zeal and no truth. Catholics have all truth and no zeal. It's time to change that, folks. Finally, Bishop Sheen said the best way to go to heaven is to take someone by the hand and lead them there. He was paraphrasing what James wrote at the very end of his epistle. There was a time when you could simply live a devout life and have a reasonable expectation of making it to heaven after paying your debt in purgatory. No more. Now we have to reach out to souls beginning with our own Catholic family and friends. Do the things you've been told here, or the only thing you can reasonably expect to win is your reserve seat in hell. I recently asked those of you on my email list to take a survey to help me give you my best in this podcast. Unfortunately, only about 10% of you six-pack warriors are on my list. So now I need the rest of you to help me out by taking the survey. There's a link in my show notes to the survey. This survey is anonymous, and I don't know who's taking it. The final four questions will help me with the new Catholic Podcasting Network as well. Then you'll be given an opportunity to get on my email list, but you don't have to sign up. This will just help you to stay up to date with the things we're doing in this apostolate. So please take the survey now. It'll only be open until after the episode we have on October 13th, the anniversary of the Miracle of Sun at Fatima. Just click on the link in my show notes. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Fox News. The Supreme Court will hear several controversial cases during a term that begins today. The most prominent case, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, will examine a Mississippi law that bans most abortions when, quote, the probable gestational age of the unborn human, end quote, is more than 15 weeks. Other cases involve immigration, vaccine mandates, concealed carry licenses, and school choice. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Daily Wire. Left-wing radicals followed Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona into a bathroom, yelled at her, and recorded her while she went into a bathroom stall. The left-wing activists warned the Arizona senator that if she didn't pass President Joe Biden's agenda, they would get her removed from office. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Washington Examiner Former President Donald Trump filed suit in federal court to get his Twitter account reinstated. The suit alleges that Twitter exercises immeasurable, historically unprecedented, and profoundly dangerous power over U.S. political discourse and engages in actions that amount to censorship in violation of the First Amendment. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick pick number two. Hats off to Catholic News Service. The Biden administration is calling for legislation that would require financial institutions to annually report to the IRS what Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen describes as the, quote, 
aggregate inflows into the account during the year and aggregate outflows, end quote, for all bank accounts that are worth at least $600 or have at least $600 worth of transactions. Yellen claimed, I don't believe it's an invasion of privacy. <laughs> You're kidding. You're an idiot. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic news pick number one. Hats off to the Washington Times. Virginia parents rallied Saturday in Loudoun County, which has been the epicenter for battles over classroom curricula. The Virginia election is going to be the first election where politicians are held to account over what we're seeing not just here, but across the country, said Brian Birch, president of CatholicVote.org, which co-hosted the event. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. A very wealthy couple, in spite of all their money and possessions, lived in constant unhappiness and almost daily fighting. The wife often cried bitterly while the husband often stormed out of the house angrily. One day the wife was looking through her grandmother's diary when she happened to come across a page with this title, A Household Remedy for Discontent. She read it hopefully anxious to see if her grandmother could offer her any wisdom. This is what she found. Whenever I feel miserable or in a bad temper, I go to the picture of the H.A. Homo and place myself at its feet. I look at it closely and meditatively for three minutes, then recite three Our Fathers before I leave. This always restores my peace and contentment. My confessor advised me to do this. I've used this remedy for 30 years and have never found it to fail. The young wife remembered she kept her grandmother's picture of the H.A. Homo. It shows our Savior scourged, crowned with thorns, and covered with the dirty garment of his soldier, his face sad and his eyes filled with tears, his lips quivering as if he were saying, See how much I suffered for you? She went up to the attic immediately and found the picture. She dusted it carefully and hung it in her room. The young wife began to follow her grandmother's advice. When she felt a quarrel was about to begin, she would go into her room, kneel before the picture, and gaze at the face of our Lord, so powerful and gentle, as she recited the three Our Fathers. Her anger and impatience gradually disappeared. She received new courage to submit to her husband's wishes and to speak to him gently and lovingly. I've noticed quite a change in you, my dear, her husband said. What's happened to you? I've found a most excellent teacher, she replied. Then she went on to tell him who her most excellent teacher really was. It wasn't long before her husband began to learn the lesson of patience and gentleness in front of the picture of the suffering Jesus. Over time, peace and harmony and happiness reigned in the family of the wealthy couple. When a paper napkin gets soiled and dirty, we throw it away. That is, after all, what it's made for. All too often today, marriage is treated like a soiled paper napkin, but marriage isn't made for disposal. Matrimony, a sacrament instituted by Christ, is made to last as long as the couple live. 
Unfortunately, much like a paper napkin, when a marriage becomes soiled with a lukewarm approach to faith, a lack of spiritual leadership from the husband, infidelity of thought or body, or an unchaste married love that comes from forbidden practices such as artificial contraception, people just throw it away in divorce court. Because couples fail to follow what Jesus teaches through his church, husbands and wives become objects to one another instead of two persons who are actually one. Both become miserable and lose their love for each other. The children not only lose the security of a divinely ordained family, but also fail to grow into the healthy and happy adults a healthy family life should form them into being. All the family members usually lose any semblance of a spiritual life God intends for them. When a couple divorce, it's actually an attempt to destroy the marriage of three, husband, wife, and God. It's exceedingly rare that any one person is responsible for the breakup of a marriage. There's usually more than enough blame to go around. But it needn't be that way. Marriage has a twofold purpose, the giving of love and the giving of life. Marriage is a natural institution, but Jesus elevated it to the level of a sacrament and blessed it as a divine institution. So when the sacrament of matrimony is administered, there are actually three persons being wed, the bride, the groom, and God. Because the marriage is a natural institution, those attempting marriage without the sacrament of matrimony, a mortal sin for Catholics, have many great difficulties trying to make the marriage work. However, through the sacrament of matrimony, the couple has the availability of infinite sacramental graces that enable them to carry out a married life that is wholesome, loving, and pleasing to God. Thanks to the prevailing counterculture of our Western civilization and the meddling of government in our marriages and families, Catholics have lost sight of what marriage is really all about. Government and the dominant counterculture have given us no-fault divorce, artificial contraception, and a new definition of marriage, all in the name of political correctness and equality. These are what have made marriage disposable. But in speaking to the Pharisees on the topic of divorce, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one? So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. This means that marriage, defined by God and not a court or a law, is between one man and one woman for the life of the married couple. Animals and 37 genders are excluded. Again, the twofold purpose of marriage is the giving of love and the giving of life, but there is a natural extension to the giving of love. God gives the spouses all the graces necessary to help one another grow in holiness. Just as children produced in the matrimonial bond are a manifestation of marital love, so too is the positive response to God's graces by the parents to help their children become holy, a manifestation of that love. St. Paul gives us the perfect formula for a solid and happy marriage, as well as a guide to rearing children. Beginning in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul writes, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul goes on to give Catholic guidance on rearing children as his discourse continues into the sixth chapter, something we'll cover at another time. We'll discuss much more about marriage in coming boot camps, but let's focus now only on what St. Paul has written here. Nothing in what Paul wrote jibes with modern American thought, but just because society and culture have changed doesn't make what Paul said any less true or relevant. Nor do the changes in our culture, laws, and society relieve us of these divine obligations. Like it or not, men, you're the head of your household, and it's time you claimed your rightful and divinely ordained place to love and lead your family into the ways of Christ and His Church. Ladies, like it or not, it's your place to be subject, that is, obedient, to your husbands in all things except immorality. But in all cases, spouses must remember they are together one person. Does this cause you to have questions or comments? Reach out to me. The Mafia has an interesting and logical hierarchy. At the top of the food chain is the boss of the bosses. Then there's the territorial bosses. Next are the capos. Finally, you have the soldiers. The Sicilian Mafia is all but gone in America, but we have another kind of Mafia-like criminal organization. It's called the Lavender Mafia, and it has overwhelmingly infiltrated the USCCB. Because Chicago is the primatial sea in America, Cardinal Blaise Supich is the boss of the bosses. The territorial bosses are his fellow bishops who belong to the Lavender Mafia. Their capos are the diocesan chancellors and vicars. The foot soldiers are all those priests who agree with the criminal bishops or they're too cowardly to courageously oppose the heresies and sins of the Lavender Mafia bishops. The Sicilian Mafia made all its ill-gotten wealth through strong-arming, lying, cheating, and stealing. The Lavender Mafia is no different, except they wear ecclesiastical robes that give them the appearance of legitimacy. Make no mistake. The Lavender Mafia is every bit as evil as the Sicilian Mafia. Through the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, they promote abortion, socialism, defunding the police, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, contraception, and illegal immigration. Worst of all, they do it with your money. They lie to you in never-ending appeals and strong-arm the money through parish taxes of the money you give the parish. They depend on your money. Well, you can fight back. Until our bishops begin doing as they ought, we shouldn't give them a dime. So I invite you to download Catholic Bogus Bucks. Catholic Bogus Bucks are intended to send a clear message to these criminal mafia-like bishops. They're great for wayward parish priests as well. Best of all, they're free to anyone who wants them. Try them out. This Sunday at collection time, assuming you're not happy with your parish priest, you know, the criminals who just haven't been promoted to bishop yet, drop a Catholic bogus buck in the collection basket rather than your hard-earned money. Message received. And the next time your bishop sends an envelope, he's demanding that you fill with your hard-earned money to finance his criminal activity, fill it with Catholic bogus bucks instead. Catholic Bogus Bucks are easy to use. All you have to do is download the bucks and print all of them you want. They're free. Let me say that again. They're free. To get your Bogus Bucks, go to cantankerouscatholic.com slash evil dash 
bishops. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Teresa of Avila. She said, Be gentle to all and stern with yourself. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. An avalanche can often be seen in certain kinds of weather in Switzerland. A young student was once visiting a Swiss mountain village in spring. One morning he went for a walk on a steep path up the mountainside. The sun shined brightly onto the new-fallen snow. He picked up a handful of snow, formed it into a snowball, and, without thinking, threw it over the mountainside. The little snowball fell into the light snow and began to move forward. It kept gaining speed and size as it rolled down the side of the mountain. In a few moments, the snow began moving in a great cleft, and thousands of tons of snow were thundering into the valley at 200 miles an hour. With just the right weather for an avalanche, a little action of throwing a snowball was enough to start one. In each of the seven sacraments, as part of the outward sign, there are a few important actions that can cause a great movement of sanctifying grace in your soul. The sanctifying grace continues to work in your soul in the form of many actual graces in daily life. The number and power of these sacramental graces depend on the love and preparation with which you receive them. As far as God's power is concerned, the simple words and actions of a sacrament can produce an avalanche of graces in your soul. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.